Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Friday, December 10th, and we're talking about stocks with monopolies. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by Fool.com's most minuscule momentum man of monumental mystery, Brian Feroldi. Brian, what's going on? Hey, Dylan, how's this going? I think this is going to be a fun episode. And importantly, we're going to be talking about tech monopolies, not named Facebook. Uh, I mean, Meta. Yes. <laughs> I think that's one of the signs that you are becoming pretty close to Monopoly. If, if you change your name into something that uh, suggests an umbrella brand, you're heading into Monopoly territory, Brian. Uh, interesting enough, uh, two of the three companies we're going to highlight have changed their name. So maybe, maybe it's time for the third to do the same. <laughs> you had pitched this show idea, and, and I loved it. Um, and I want, before we even get into some of the businesses we're going to be talking about, uh, to just kind of talk through why you wanted to talk through this concept and why this is uh, a helpful perspective for people to have when they're looking at businesses. Monopolies tend to get a bad rap, and I understand why, especially if you look at history. Uh, monopolies tend to be extremely bad for uh, consumers. Some of the, the famous ones were like AT&T, which was broken up in 1982, Standard Oil, which was broken up in like the 1910s or, or 1920s. And there are reasons that there are laws on the books that uh, prevent monopolies from uh, existing and abusing their power. What you might find interesting is that actually, if you re look at the details of the laws, uh, U.S. laws do not punish companies for being the sole provider of a product or service. So in other words, monopolies are not outlawed. However, they are designed to punish companies that abuse their market position to put forth unfair practices that stifle competition. Yeah, and this is one of those spaces that always gets debated. You know, you have these dominant companies who maybe come under antitrust scrutiny, and they'll say, "Well, yeah, you know, we we dominate this market. If you look at it this way, and we have eighty percent of it. But if you take a step back and you realize that's just a piece of this overall market, we only have twenty percent market share, Brian." That's right. It, always, it totally depends on how you how you uh, define the market that you're going after. And what's interesting is when you start to dig into monopolies, there are actually lots of monopolies that exist out there, and many of the companies are, are publicly traded. So a lot of utilities, for example, are natural monopolies. There are companies that provide uh, water or trash services or electricity to a market, and it would just be prohibitively expensive for there to be multiple providers of that service uh, to, to to, to the uh, geography that it operates in. Uh, for that reason, governments allow monopolies to exist with the caveat that pricing is controlled by them so they can't abuse it. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things with a lot of the modern monopolies um, that people tend to think of, the metas of the world, and one of the first companies we're going to be talking about, Alphabet, um, is they don't really conjure up the same ideas as a trust-busting standard oil where the consumers are shouldering additional costs in a very obvious and explicit way. Uh, these are products that are often consumed for free by the consumer, and the traditional monopoly dynamics are actually kind of more behind the scenes. 
Yeah, uh, so Alphabet is the first company that we're going to talk about, and they have a dominant market share in several markets. But to your point, are consumers being hurt by that extreme, uh, by the pre- by the preference and their extreme dominance? Uh, I would say no. I've never been charged for a Google search myself. However, you could argue that Google's actual customers, uh, which are the advertisers on their site, maybe they're being abused. Yeah, and then you know, if you want to take that one step further, you could say. Higher costs for advertising may get translated into higher prices for consumers, but it's a little bit more of a difficult argument than some of the past monopolistic arguments that we've seen. Um, We wanted to start with this one because I I think it is probably one of the easiest ones for people to wrap their head around. Uh, you, You may find us by using a Google product or an Alphabet product, um, they've become so ubiquitous, they've been verbed. And I think that's usually where you start to get into monopoly territory, Brian. Yeah, it's, it's hard to use the internet and not be using one of Google's uh, Alphabet's uh, products. And to give you a sense of scale for how dominant they are in a couple of their markets, uh, Google's market share of search globally is about 90 Uh, That is beyond dominant. And for a sense of uh, scale, the number two search market, uh, search engine in the world is Bing. And that has a global market share of 2.3%. And amazingly, that isn't Google's only monopoly. Yeah, no, I mean, if you're looking for information generally, Google is the name of the game. Uh, It is the most visited website in the world. they also happen to own the second most visited website in the world. Yeah, which you could argue is the second biggest search engine in the world, uh, by the way. And that second most visited site in the world is YouTube. And in the uh, in the space that YouTube uh, competes in, its market share is 76%. And the number two provider of online streaming videos uh, in, again, YouTube's market uh, is Vimeo. Now, Vimeo is a much stronger second competitor than Bing is, but Vimeo's market share is only 19%. And Dylan, we're still not done. Yeah, often lost in the conversation with Alphabet is the Android operating system. They've taken a slightly different approach to the smartphone market than a company like Apple. Uh, Really, in this case with Android, it's allowed them to layer in a lot of these uh, software and app-based ways that they make their money. Um, And it's absolutely staggering, 75% market share globally, which I think we can underappreciate here in the North American market because iOS market share is much higher here than in the rest of the world. Yeah, and, and you can understand why Google pushed so hard to make Android so so dominant. By owning Android, they can obviously set Google as the default search engine and YouTube as the default video engine, which in many ways really feeds why those sites are the number one and number two most visited websites in the world. Yeah, and all of these digital products really feed everything that Alphabet is able to do. I mean, if you look at what Google advertising looks like as a line item for this business in the most recent quarter, billion out of $65 billion in quarterly revenue. Absolutely staggering. Search is about $38 billion of that. YouTube ads, $7.2. I mean, it's incredible to think about how much money these generate. And that is what fuels everything else that we read about this company. And that enormous revenue growth really allows uh, Google, uh, Alphabet, I guess I should say, to spend like crazy basically everywhere that it can. It's known for being a very wonderful place to work, having very lavish employee uh, benefits, and yet still be unbelievably profitable at the same time. So Alphabet's trailing 12 months revenue is about $240 billion, of which it converted $71 billion into net income. That is a sign of a fantastic business. Yeah, 
56% gross margins for this company over the trailing 12 months, I think a sign that it is one, a digital product, and two, one that enjoys some pricing power, which we know is a dead indicator of a company that has a pretty strong handle on the market, Brian. And when you combine that with the general growth in the internet, essentially since this came public, uh, it's no wonder why this has been such a phenomenal long-term investment. If you were smart enough to buy and hold shares of this company since it came public uh, in the mid-2000s, you're currently up 5,400% and counting. Yeah. And and I will say, I think this has been an easy one. You know, Maybe uh, over the last five to eight years, an easy one where you've known that this company isn't going anywhere. You've known that no one's coming in and eating their lunch when it comes to search. I think in the early days of this business, uh, it was a lot harder to see how this materialized into the ad giant that we know it to be today. Uh, but one of the things that I think you'll notice with some of these businesses we're talking about is when you start getting into the competitive dynamics and where this company sits in the marketplace, you don't have to think very hard for what success looks like for that business over the next five years. It, it, exactly. And and what's equally as exciting as Google today, if you look at the company's long-term growth trajectory, I mean, search is still a cash cow, but there's a lot of did advertising dollars that still haven't made their way online. And it's just a matter of time before those dollars do navigate online. And Google is a natural beneficiary of there. So despite its size and dominance today, plenty of reasons to believe that this company still can grow. Yeah, it remains something that I continue to own despite the size that it's become as a company, uh, and I'm and I'm happy to do so. It's a it's a product I love uh, and a very well run business. Uh, Brian, the second company we're going to look at, we're going to pivot to something that I think maybe some people haven't heard quite as much about um, and might need a little bit more background on, and that's Verisign. Verisign is a monopoly that a lot of people haven't uh, heard of, and the ticker symbol here is VRSN. Uh, Verisign is a global provider of domain name registry services and in internet infrastructure. Uh, breaking that down to simply, if you operate a website that ends in .com, .net, .gov, .jobs, or .edu, you're a Verisign customer even if you don't know it. Uh, VeriSign is the exclusive provider of those top-level doc names, uh, thanks to an agreement that it has with a nonprofit group called the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, or ICANN, and another agreement that it has with the U.S. Department of uh, Commerce. And that .com uh, top-level domain is incredibly uh, popular. For a sense of scale, there is about 364 million domain registrations uh, of all top-level domains globally, and 100 157 million of them end in .com. It is by far the number one source. Yeah, I think you always do a little bit of a double take when you see a not .com. It's becoming more common these days just because so much of the digital real estate of the internet has been claimed, uh, and we've started to see people merge into other domain names. Uh, but yeah, that is where the business is, right? That is that is where the money is and where people tend to go with this. Uh, Brian, I, I for one love when I can own something that is just humming in the background and almost nobody knows about it. I think those are some of my favorite businesses to own because they don't really uh, get on other people's radar. It becomes kind of this sleepy stock that's that's fun to have in your portfolio. Uh, and, and honestly, it doesn't maybe get the headlines or some of the negative press uh, that some of these other businesses tend to get. 
Yeah, as we said, you probably are a customer of this company if you have a website that ends in .com and you might not uh, even know it. So VeriSign uh, contracts itself out to 2,000 different registrar companies. So those are the ones that you might be more familiar with, such as uh, GoDaddy or Namecheap or uh, Two Cows. Essentially, if you go to those sites to buy and register a domain name as a .com, uh, the money that you're paying is passed along to VeriSign in the background. So it's very much like a utility for the internet. Yeah. And if you thought that what we were talking about with Alphabet was attractive in terms of financials, a whole nother story here when we're talking about VeriSign. Yeah, I think the most attractive financial profile that I've ever seen in my life is probably Visa and MasterCard. But VeriSign is really, really close to that and certainly within that range. I mean, the company has monopoly like margins for itself. So this company's gross margin is 86%. Its operating margin is 65%. And after taking out all expenses, this company's net margin is 45%, meaning the company converts every dollar of revenue into 45 cents of after-tax profit. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. You can tell it's a digital business uh, and you can tell it's one that has a a pretty firm grip on the market. Uh, I'm sure there are some people that are wondering, okay, uh, it it sounds like this market is relatively established. We talked about just how... um, how how deep and kind of penetrated the dot-com space is already, Brian. Uh, what do the growth levers look like for this business going forward? So if you look at how this company has performed uh, since it uh, came public, the returns have been spectacular. Uh, this company is up about 3,700% uh, during its lifetime as a public company. Uh, however, there are so many domain names that are out there and the growth of those domain names are slowing. And I think there's also reason to believe that there are some alternatives cropping up. So you don't necessarily have to have .com after your name uh, to be uh, successful. But the way this company grows uh, is by one, registering new domain names. And there are still millions that are registered every single year. Uh, Two, by increasing its uh, renewal rate, so people keep paying those fees in order to maintain their uh, their .com or .net. And renewal rates for this business hover somewhere around uh, 75%. But three is the interesting one. So this company can essentially uh, raise prices for for its registration, and companies have have to pay these fees to do so. Because the government believes that this is essentially a monopoly, it is regulated on how quickly uh, it can raise prices. So VeriSign does have a contract in place with ICANN that allows it to raise prices on the dot-com registration about 7% each year through now and uh, 2024. Uh, for example, on September 21st of this year, the annual price to register a dot-com was raised from 785 to 839 That does not sound like much, but multiplied by hundreds of millions of domains, that is a lot of money. And the company can even raise prices faster on .NET uh, domain names. So prices can increase about 10% uh, each year between now and 2023. So there is a limit to how fast this company can raise prices. And there's also contract with risk with those uh, things being renewed uh, uh, every uh, time they come up from renewal. Uh, but that is essentially how this business grows. Yeah. And I mean, e- even if you're just looking at the pricing power element of this, that's 7 to 10% annual growth that they're probably able to work in even without bringing in new customers. If you bring in new customers, you're able to accelerate on top of that. Seven to ten percent, Brian, is basically what we expect from the S and P 500. Uh, and so, you know, that's that's okay. And and really, you know, knowing that you have the kicker of whatever able, they're able to bring in for new customers, uh, that, that's a pretty compelling business idea. 
Yep. And if you look at what management is doing with those extreme profits, it's basically plowing all of that capital into share buyback. So this company's uh, diluted share count is down about 30% uh, over the last uh, over the last uh, 10 years. And another fun fact about Verisign, uh, it hasn't gone unnoticed by Warren Buffett. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway is actually the largest shareholder of Verisign, owning about 11.5% of the business. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm certainly interested in this one, Brian. One that I think I had overlooked, and uh, one of the joys of doing the show with you is I get to you know check out some companies that uh, maybe missed my radar. Uh, this third one we're going to talk about, I know, is on both of our radars uh, because I talked about it as my top stock for 2021, Brian, uh, and that is Axon Enterprise. Uh, probably somewhere between Verisign and Alphabet in terms of awareness for people that are listening to the show. Uh, for people who don't know. This is the business formerly known as Taser. They rebranded to reflect the company's shift uh, from being stun gun focused to being more focused on their Axon body cameras and evidence.com cloud storage business. Brian, they've been going through this transition over the last half decade or so. We've really started to see it materialize over the last couple of years, and it seems like it was 100% the right decision. Completely. This has been a phenomenal uh, long-term investment, providing returns that are insanely high if you bought this company any time during the IPO. And I can tell you, while this had been a Motley Fool recommendation for many years, I always ignored it because I just figured it was a hardware uh, company that was selling tasers, and I don't like investing in hardware companies. However, when you dig into the details of this company, there's far more to it than just selling hardware. Yeah. With that hardware, that's basically their entry into a lot of these police departments and and law enforcement agencies. Uh, But they have this cloud storage software as a service-like business model with evidence.com, and that's where their financials get much more attractive. And it's also where their business gets a lot stickier. It moves them away from just being a hardware provider to this recurring revenue model, uh, and one where you're embedded in law enforcement agencies and departments, uh, it's, it's a little bit harder for people to switch. Um, also hard to switch, Brian, because the reality is there are not a lot of people that operate in this market. I have looked and tried to find accurate market share data for uh, worn body cameras used by law enforcement. It is tough to find. The estimates that I have seen are that Axon has somewhere between 70 and 80% market share in major markets like North America. This is one of those trends that is still, I think, relatively early on. We're seeing more and more uh, local law enforcement agencies use it. Um, But basically, there's Axon, and for a while, there was VView. and then they decided, you know, what if we just bought VView? Uh, and so the two major players in this market uh, have consolidated. That has come with some regulatory scrutiny, though. That was one of those ac- acquisitions that, when it re- went through, kind of made me scratch my head uh, a little bit. It was kind of like when Zillow bought uh, Trulia uh, many, many years ago. And it was like clearly number one buying number two, and it somehow made it through. So yeah, when Axon made that move, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the company established itself as a monopoly position in those body cameras. Yeah, and I think they already were well ahead of VView in the market, and it was just an opportunity for them to consolidate. It has come uh, with some scrutiny, and the FTC is pretty interested in this acquisition. They've challenged it. They are attempting to undo the merger. Axon has appealed, mostly on due process grounds, and lost that first appeal. Uh, It seems like this will be challenged uh, before a judge in an internal administrative enforcement process. It is hard to know what to make of something like that as an investor. The thing that I lean on with something like that is... Axon was the market leader before this acquisition. They are likely going to continue to be the market leader, even if this doesn't go through. VView is a a distant second. Um, 
they really came into the the fold because they had uh, reached a major market in the New York City law enforcement, uh, and that was kind of what spurred their interest in the business. Um, I think one of the other competitive risks for this, you know, knowing that they have the number two player, is that there are some companies that operate in law enforcement technology that um, may expand where they currently are and move a little bit closer into body cameras. And Motorola is really, I think, one of the main companies to watch here. They've been a supplier uh, of law enforcement for things like radio, dispatch communications. They have body camera products. You could see them looking to offer something that is a little bit more of a full suite product for law enforcement. I think the challenge for a company like Axon is going to be, can you move wider out from cameras and evidence storage? And that, to me, is such a reason to be uh, so bullish on on Axon. Yes, other companies can produce hardware that competes with with Axon, but they have really taken on an Apple-like ecosystem to all of their products to make sure that they all complement each other and and work together. So evidence.com is the software that kind of ties everything uh, together, but they're also making uh, their products so that uh, if you use one, then the other products that are associated with it actually automatically work and help with record keeping. So while there is competition out there, I could see them having a very hard time displacing Axon because it's made such investments in that software. Yeah, and and I will say this has actually been a market underperformer uh, year to date. Um, it's it's a business that's slightly underperformed the S and P five hundred. I remain incredibly bullish on it. It's one of my top winners. Uh, it's it's a company that I've owned for a long time. Uh, and, it, and one of the reasons why is you look at the financials. It has a lot of those monopolistic business traits to it. It's posted twenty percent plus year over year growth for the last five years. Uh, they are clearly a business that is in a growth market, and they own the growth market. Seventy three percent of revenue tied to subscription bundles. 63% gross margins. I think that's where you start to pay attention. Um, and this company is losing money, but really it's because I think they are spending a lot in SGNA and R&D trying to make sure that they maintain their market leadership position. This is a business that was making money, posting positive net income just a couple of years ago. I think choosing to make those investments in, as a business now. Yeah. Plus, they also had that business model innovation where they knew that if you, if they got a police force uh, embedded with evidence.com, that eventually they would really cement themselves as an almost hard hard to get rid of uh, uh, supplier. Uh, because of that, they gave extremely uh, favorable pricing terms for police departments to get them to make that switch. And if memory serves, they actually give it away for free uh, for a year. That's obviously going to take a toll on your financial statements. So I would argue this company's financial statements don't accurately represent present what the business has actually been doing over the last couple of years. Yeah. And interestingly enough, we're still in the phase where, for the most part, the taser business is the largest piece of revenue. Axon is catching up. It's going to take it over in a couple quarters. You can tell it's getting there, uh, but it's not quite there yet. And even though that's the case, uh, companies up 800% since early 2016. And that's when the Axon narrative and this new pivot for them really started to take hold and became something that people were paying attention to. Um, so I remain a, a shareholder uh, of this company and also of Alphabet. I think two really quality businesses, VeriSign, one for me to check out a little bit more, Brian. Um, something I want to do as we wrap the show is just kind of talk through quickly a couple of the traits that we identify here with businesses that have these monopolistic qualities. We talked a little bit about just the sheer ownership of market share, but there are a couple other things I think we can point people to as well, Brian. 
Yeah, in general, uh, when you're looking for companies like this, something that you could be looking for is uh, relatively stable and predictable uh, business uh, performance. Uh, a way that you indicate that is just by looking at the margin profile of a company. I mean, one one simple thing you could do is sort all the companies in the world by uh, net margin, and the ones that have the absolute highest ones probably have a good indication that the business is uh, might possess monopoly-like uh, quality uh, qual qualities. Uh, one thing that is worth noting about these companies is while they might have a lock on their current uh, market, that doesn't mean that they're not susceptible uh, to market dynamics and huge risk down the line. Uh, for example, a VeriSign has a lock on, uh, a, a government guaranteed lock on the .com registration, but we've seen a lot of other domains uh, names uh, flourishing out there and people are increasingly willing to, to move away from them to say nothing about the long-term existential threat that something like blockchain technology uh, could, could provide. Uh, the same is true for Google's uh, core or products. You could easily see Web3 things developing over time that make that render those obsolete uh, over time. History is filled with examples of former monopolies that lose their stature uh, due to technological innovation. So that is something to keep an eye on. Heavy is the head that wears the crown, right, Brian? <laughs> I mean, it's true. If, if you're if you're first, people are going to be gunning for you, and there are going to be people looking for that market opportunity. Uh, that's basically the, the the way it works. Uh, these are all companies that enjoy really favorable market position right now. They need to sustain it in order to continue to be quality investments. I think in the case of all three of these businesses, uh, I'm pretty excited for their next five years and the prospects in front of them. You could do worse. You could do worse than starting your uh, stock investment search with these three companies. Yeah, I could do a lot worse with whoever I'm hosting this show with, Brian. You are a fantastic contributor. Always happy to have you on. Thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Always a pleasure, Dylan. Before we wrap, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our member stories fool, Michael Faulkner. With the year coming to an end, he's working on a little project to spread some foolish joy. If you want to help out, head to thefoolstory.fool.com and in one minute or less, tell us your name, how you found your way into the Fool community, and something that you are grateful for that has come out of this community. Something that has made you smarter, happier, or richer. Again, you can submit what you're thankful for over at thefoolstory.fool.com. I, for one, am thankful that I get to do this show with Brian every week and excited for every letter, email that comes in with suggestions showing all the folks who listen and all the folks that are engaged with this podcast. Until next time, that is going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com or tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for all his work behind the glass today, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Fool on. 